Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. Uh, it is June of 2023. It's been a few months, so let me remember how we do this show um, or how I podcast. It's been a while since I podcast. It's probably been two months since I've recorded anything. So um, here we are. So the Tome Show, Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs uh, talking about our games and helping each other out. That's what I say. Uh, with me, as always, I am Jeff Greiner. With me, as always, is uh, let's start with Mike Shea. Hello. And also Sam Dillon. Hello. And that's us. Are we ready to get started? Yay. Or do we want Let's to continue our, our random talk about Tales of the Valiant first? Uh, well, which one of us is first? Uh, I am first. Um. So, you know, that could be part of the discussion about your topic. It could be. I could talk about it during mine as well, because I'm running a bunch of Cobalt Plus stuff. Cobalt so Press stuff me, for my let games. Me let me talk about what I'm going to talk about and we'll see how long it goes. Uh, and then we'll, uh, if there's time, we'll talk about tales of the Valiant. All right. So, um, it has been a minute. Uh, and as I look back at my notes of what I talked about last time, three months ago, um, (laughs) boy, for a monthly show, we are not good at keeping up with things. (laughs) Either, we all got busy, Jeff. Either Mike is suddenly launching a a, a Kickstarter and, yeah, and a Kickstarter. gets super busy, or Sam gets promoted and and has to figure out new jobs. And oh man, y'all. Uh, so um, I'm still running Descent into Avernus. Um, ironically, I guess in the last two months, three months, I've barely played at all with my kids. Um, and so I don't have much to, to, to update on my uh, Witchlight campaign I was running with them. Um, although we did take a break at one point and we... Um, there is a game... I'm trying to remember the name of it now. There's a game that... A D&D licensed, branded, whatever game. I think it's even published by Wizards. That I didn't see advertised literally anywhere. I just randomly, it was randomly recommended to me on Amazon and I'm like, Oh, I kind of like these things. And so I bought it and it's actually kind of fantastic. Uh, it, mm. and, and I don't remember the title of it, but it is a, it's like, have you ever done one of the like escape room style games where there's like various puzzles to solve in order to go on to the next thing. And you, you know, you pull a card and you look at for the clues on the card and then you can move on to the next thing and it tells you what card to pull next and that kind of stuff. Sam's nodding his head. So apparently they made a name. D&D. I don't know the name of it either, but it's it's kind of like a party game where you get clues and you work together to resolve them, and then it leads you to the next clue. It's a, it's like a mix between like a a scavenger hunt and a like party murder mystery kind of one of those things and an escape room. Well, like it's, it's 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 a lot like if you've played the specific version of the game that's very popular and it licenses you know Star Wars and that kind of stuff versions too is is unlocked uh, or unlock. <laughs> Uh, it's it's yeah. very much unlock, but then you also make D and D characters that play through the scenarios, um, mm. and and so it's actually it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we only did Act One, and then uh, part of what happened is my oldest got a job, and so he's working weekends a lot of times, and we're not playing games as much. But um, but yeah, no, I was so yeah. Anyway, that game has well, Witchlight campaign hasn't done anything in months. At this point, I hope we get back to it, but who knows? We're like in the middle of 
the second part of Prismere. So I don't even know if anybody would remember what we were doing if we get back to it now. Um, So in the Descent to Avernus game that we've been playing regularly, um, last time we chatted, they had like gone to the Wandering Emporium for the first time. Um, There had been all kinds of shenanigans with fighting off warlords and what have you. Um, And, and I'm, and they'd gone to the Tower of Urm. I'm I'm using um, Eventier's uh, Avernus as a sandbox method of putting things together. Uh, it's a little bit interesting because it's it's a little bit. It's not really that sandboxy uh, the the way that uh, they do it in the Eventier product. It's more of a a, a flow chart. You know, there, there's there's two or three different decision points, and at each one, there's three different options. Um, and then you go, you then you pick one, and then the next one is there's th- three options, and the uh, the three options are the same regardless of what the previous choice was, and um, you know, so, but it's a little bit more open. It's not just the one path or the second path. Um, you kind of get to to see a little bit more of of Avernus and visit more places and and kind of pick the things that sound more interesting to you and what have you. Um, so they went to the Tower of Erm because uh, uh, Morden Canaan is going to be is able to um, divine the location of one of the people that they need to find that knows where the 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 scab is the palace the to get the sword right um, and morning Canaan's like yeah sure I'll totally do that for you you just got to do me a favor uh, while I'm busy doing that you go get me some blood but it's got to be like really powerful blood like pit fiend Baylor level blood uh, or better. Uh, well, it turns out that if, you know, the adventure has, um, yeah, <laughs> the adventure has uh, all kinds of different places where you can get powerful blood, right? There's a Titan running around, there's there's uh, Archons running around with a vial of Tiamat's blood, that's powerful enough, right? There's all kinds of different pit fiends or bailers you can run into, um, so there are opportunities, right? And so they went off looking for... for uh, for that blood, and they decided to go off to the Bone Brambles as their to ask Red Ruth as somebody that they had heard of, as somebody who knows things and knows how to find things, and maybe maybe Red Ruth would know um, where to where to find such powerful blood, right? Um, and they had fun in the Bone Brambles for some reason. I don't know why, and I'm not. I don't feel like I'm consistent when I portray the the hags like uh, like Red Ruth or Mad Maggie. But I must be doing something right and consistently because my character, my players just love Red Ruth and they love Mad Maggie, right? Uh, and so I, I, because, and because they've expressed that, I, I try extra hard to remember, okay, but how did I do it? What, what, how did I role play her? You know, what was I doing? So I can try to make sure to be consistent and come back to it. Uh, but they loved, they loved Red Ruth. They, they enjoyed the Bone Brambles. I think it was the weird potion thing where she, Red Ruth, wants some of your blood and then she'll mix up weird potions for you and whatever. Um, <laughs> that, that sounded fun to them and all that kind of stuff. At one point, so at one point we, I don't remember if this was in the official adventure and one of the things that I added to it, because um, I added an adventure uh, one of the Candlekeep mysteries when they were in Candlekeep and you're the appropriate level. Hey, why not throw in one of those, right? Uh, and so at some point, somewhere in the adventure, they found a bag of beans. Oh, yeah. I think it might have actually been in the Dungeon of the Dead 3. I think they found um, there's a bag of beans in the Dungeon of the Dead 3, and it's not in a place that you would ever have any reason to look. 
Um, so I think a lot of people don't find the bag of beans, and that's fine. But these these players did. Uh, and so every now and then they throw me for a loop and they stick a bean in the ground randomly in weird places. In this case, they were leaving the bone brambles and they stuck a bean in the ground and they rolled really high and it was a pyramid grows out of the ground. Inside is a mummy lord with a magic item of the DM's choosing. Um, have fun, right? And I'm like, what what the, why what the hell am I gonna do with a pyramid that just suddenly I and mean, I'm not gonna have it just be like a big open room with a monster in it to kill and get and get treasure right it's, we gotta make it something more interesting than that and whatever luckily it was late enough in the evening at that point I said okay this pyramid rises up out of the out of the red Avernian soil and uh, you know uh, a hot wind blows out through the the open doorway of the pyramid and 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 that's where we'll stop tonight and that gave me a week to <laughs> to figure out what the hell it was gonna be. Um, and then I decided to be, um, I decided to pull a little Spelljammer is what I did. Uh, I made it a pyramid ship. If you go back to second edition uh, Spelljammer, there was a ship that was a pyramid ship. It was just a giant pyramid that mummies and undead flew around in, right? Uh, I made it a pyramid ship that had these weird tentacles running, giant tentacles running through it and whatever. Um, and the the story in my head was, uh, there was a nautiloid that got into a fight with a pyramid ship and, and they were jumping the planes and they crashed in Avernus and, and the nautiloid is still attached. Uh, and, <laughs> and, I'm, and, and I figured and if they really wanted to, one of the ships is still functional, but the helm is broken. One of the ships is broken, but the helm still works. So if they wanted to remove the helm from one of the ships and put it in the other one, they could be flying around Avernus in a spell jammer. Um, they never figured out what the hell was going on. And in fact, when they found the giant hole uh, in the bottom of the pyramid ship that the nautiloid had created and saw the tentacles and things coming out of it, they're like, ah, nope, we're good. We killed the bummy. We got our treasure. Let's get the f- out of here. <laughs> and they didn't want to mess with the, the weird hole with tentacles coming out of it in the bottom of the pyramid because they never figured out it was a ship. Uh, but that, it, turned, it turned into a fun little encounter and then it allowed me to build some some sort of internal story consistency because... Because I, in my head, knew what it was, even if they never discovered it, right? Um, Right. After that, we've actually spent quite a bit of time since then. Um, I've added in a lot of the Adventures League stories as well. So the Adventures League campaign that ties to Descent into Avernus... um, is is largely like you use the wandering emporium as sort of a, a base of operations and go out and do different tasks from there. And there's a chosen of a little girl who's a chosen of of Ilmater, um, who who was in Candlekeep and found the Book of Exalted Deeds, read from the Book of Exalted Deeds, and became the chosen of a of a lawful good god, right? Uh, and then was given this this task, this mission of go to Avernus. And find the the missing souls of these Hellriders that went with Zeriel down into Avernus way back when, uh, and their souls are missing. They're not where they're supposed to be. So her task is to find them. Uh, and so the players are now also jumping in and out of the Wandering Emporium a bunch, helping out this little girl Dara. Um, uh, and and part of the the early part of it was. Um, find uh or go and and create a, a ruckus at this muni- this 
infernal munitions de depot to distract from a nearby fort and then infiltrate the fort while while the army is gone uh, dealing with that stuff in order to find the old battle plans from those Hellriders. Um, which, in an interesting twist, there's not, like, battle plans. There is uh, a Yalko. The, 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 the fort is an old drow fort that was pulled into Avernus, so it's a, like a, a stalactite that's at the bottom of the, the sticks. So they have to find a way to get down into the bottom of the river without, you know, losing their memories and whatever. Uh, and then the battle plans are actually a Yalko, uh, a handmaiden of Loth, who was who was there. And so that's the battle plans. And, and if you free her from her prison, um, then she imparts that, those memories to you and whatever. Uh, so, so anyway, so it's, that was kind of fun, and that's an interesting twist. Uh, in the interim, I had one of my players, at one point they gained a level, and I had one of my players, without telling me or, or consulting with me or talking to me about it, decide to add a level of Warlock when they leveled up. Uh, and a lot of times, like, you add a level of Fighter, you add a level of Ranger, even, even um, you know, even a Wizard or whatever. It's not... A huge deal. I still, as the DM, probably want to be consulted. Like, let me know what you're doing and how that fits the story and what's going on, whatever. Uh, but a warlock, like, that means that you have to have established some sort of relationship with a patron. I need to be intimately involved in that process. <laughs> and 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 he was, like, almost keeping it a secret from me until suddenly he's throwing Eldritch Blast around. I'm like, wait a minute, what? 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 You're a paladin. How are you throwing Elvish Blaster? What, you, what, what is going on? <laughs> right? And so um, I have worked out a um, an idea where, because um, he's a Hexblade, right? So he gets his powers from a, from a weapon. And he's kind of been, um, I don't know if he might listen to this. If you do, stop listening. Uh, he's kind of been... Um, interacting with a divine entity he's he's a paladin who never chose a god he his idea was the gods because you know he organized religion it's all sort of corrupt and whatever they're all self-serving he didn't really want to join any specific religion because none of them spoke to him right but meanwhile there is a cleric of, of uh, bahamut in the party and he's starting to see some of the value of that and bahamut's been sort of speaking to him sending him visions whatever um you know, giving him that opportunity. And so I decided, well, what if the um, the weapon that he's getting his powers from isn't a weapon that he even has, but it's here and it's in Avernus and it's a, and it's connected to Bahamut and it is speaking to him. It is, it is lending him power from afar in hopes that it, he will then come and reclaim the weapon and, and serve Bahamut and what have you. Right. And, and I tied that into the Adventures League thing, because otherwise the Adventures League stories feel like a lot of like side stories that don't have anything to do with any of the characters or what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and so this this gives him a little bit of a tie of like, oh, I should help with that, right? We also have two characters who are Shatterkai and followers of, of the Raven Queen. Um, and regardless of which version of the Raven Queen you want to follow and i've kind of mashed up fourth and fifth right she's not she's kind of about souls she's kind of about memories it's all it's all in there right um either way the raven queen is totally on board with like yeah if there's souls not in the right place like we should fix that you 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 all should should pursue this as well right that you should totally be helping this this chosen of ill modder 
Um, so, so I think they're, they're engaged. There's a few of those adventures that, that don't necessarily tie to like Dara's quest right now. They're in the middle of this giant forest of the like bone white trunks with blood red leaves. And, and it's a huge forest and there's a, a hell rider's soul trapped in there. Um, because their their unicorn mount made a bad deal with with some devils ages ago, whatever, uh, and so they're in the middle of that right now. But that was mostly of uh, an issue of well, we we drove our infernal war machine up to it, and we saw this giant forest, and it's going to take forever to go around the thing. Um, so I guess we're just oh, and and there's this body, and there's tracks going in. I guess we're going to go check it out, and now it's been like two days of them trudging trudging through this forest uh, <laughs> trying to um, figure out what's going on. And we finished last session of they showed up and there's there's the center of the forest. You finally found the heart of the forest where the unicorn is, and that's where we stopped. So we'll wrap up that session or that story on Friday. But I think I want to move back to the main story thread uh, pretty quickly here because it's been a long time since they've made any progress on the actual main storyline of the of the adventure um and i i feel like it's time for them to feel like they're making progress on that so the trick the trick is the next thing they want to do is go and confront archon who is arguably way out of their league uh you know plus sporting the hand of vecna um which is all connected to their story uh their characters are all tied to the whole vecna thing um one of the characters uh, doesn't even realize it yet, but Archon is like his great great grandfather, uh, and his brother is there working with Archon, and so they've got lots of reasons to go after Archon and deal with the situation. I just got to figure out what to have them do, and not just run in and instantly try to kill him because I don't know that that would go well. So that's what I've been up to. Cool. Y'all have any thoughts before we move on? Because I did I did run out of time. Not that we haven't gone over time before, but never. We've never done such no. a thing. <laughs> Mike, no, not your, really. This is your chance to, to have a, a descent to Avernus rant. I've it's been done. It has. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. It's you know, it's old hat at this point. Okay. Go. Um, I mean, but but at this point, like you're you know, you have veered so far that uh. You well, know, certainly, certainly you're, you're certainly using Avernus as a setting. Yes, and I mean, but, but you're running your own adventures, which, which is probably a better way to do it. Which, which right? is, I mean, it's arguably what what a lot of DMs do with any adventure, right? Sure. Yeah, but I mean, right? I think I think yours tend to go a little further than most, right? Oh. Like, well, I don't know. That they go- I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that's bad. I think it's probably no, no. for this one. I think that's a better way to go. Right? Is use Avernus as a good setting for. And, a bunch of different specific things that are going on, but like, are I, they still going after Zario and all that? Are yeah, they still doing? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I I go far afield so much as I add in so many extra things. Yeah, sure, right. Know, that right. all the the main stuff is still there. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. One of for me, like the the thing that I had a lot of trouble. I had a lot of trouble. A lot of things. In Avernus, but like one of them was like, it was really kind of linear. Like, sure, you had like the different paths, but once you were on it, all the paths were bad. And once you were on it, you're kind of on the railroad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that doing the the uh, sort of quest style of Dragon of Icespire Peak, which is, I think, a really great model for like how to continually put choices in front of the characters 
and let the players kind of decide the path that they want to take in the most efficient way where you're not replicating a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. is that model of like pick two of three and then reset and then pick another two of three and reset and so on. And so you get to the end in that way, instead of following like one path, you're kind of, Zigz, I, you know, zigzagging through three potential options yeah. all the way to the end. Well, which I, think I works mentioned really well. the way Eventier does it, or sets up their, their yeah, it sounds similar, right? right. It, it, and it's not even two <clears> or three; it's one of three, and then you go yeah. to the next one. You know, and that one yeah. of three leads to the same three choices, regardless of which one you take, right? Uh, I am, yeah, tempted, right. So, Morden Kane in I that thought, case, in that case, you have like you know two of three that you're throwing away, right? So, right. so yeah. the way it's written by Eventier is that. Um, you know, they went to Morton Canaan to get the information. Morton Canaan should give them one place, and he's you know one one person to find. And he told them, "Which one do you want me to find for you?" Right? Yeah. But I am tempted to, especially because they've spent so much extra time running around doing all these other things, um, to just go ahead and let, have Morton Canaan give them all three. You know, right. I'm going to tell sure. you, I'm going to tell you where Harriman is. I'm going to tell you where Olanthius is, and I and I'm going to tell you where Bell is, and you can. You can pursue all three of them if you want to. Have fun. Go at it. I'm 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 leaving hell and going somewhere else now with my tower. Um, right. Because that I mean I feel like that presents some more interesting things. And honestly, I want them to go to Harriman's Hill. Um, there are things that I set up early in the campaign that I think I could pay off in at Harriman's Hill. Um, I don't know if you remember way back in. Um, I do. Baldur's yeah. Game, there, there was the the revenant that kept coming back and and attacking them there's this baker that was actually a member of the thieves guild or whatever that they killed uh, that was mm-hmm. part, like there was like their, that's like their dark secret they were all they were all involved in the murder of this baker who turned out was right. part of the thieves guild and, and now she's back she won't die she's a revenant and they, they never quite figured out that she's a revenant um but one of them one of the times she died they killed her with a um a hellforged weapon which meant her soul then went to avernus I'm like, oh, great. So I, I can just keep torturing them with her every other day. She'll just keep coming back and, and messing with them. But then I figure that's going to lose the challenge and the interest real fast, right? Because as they get up and level and she's still a CR5 undead creature. So I thought, oh, right. it'd be interesting if they find her. But she's on one of those spikes at Harmon's Hill, right? And, yeah. and this, is, this is what you condemned her to. Um, would be a, an interesting little role play situation. But at the same time... I really like Olanthius and that whole uh, setting, that location, and the and the role play with that character. Um, so, so I'm going to give them all three. And I never got to play around with Bell the one uh, the previous time I ran it. So uh, I'm just going to give them all three options, I think, and and say, okay, now we can we can do all three of them if you want. That'll be fun. <laughs> Let's go crazy. So yeah. So anyway, all right. I will stop rambling then. Uh, as we get ready to move on to the next person, though, I want to remind people, if you want to support The Tome Show, you can go to patreon.com slash The Tome. The Tome? The Tome Show? One of those two. I don't remember. It's been a few months since we've recorded. Uh, and, you know, throw throw us as little as, as a dollar a month. Uh, and by us, I mean me, because I try to pay the bills on things. Um, so Sam jumped in and paid for a few months there. But he, that's because he didn't tell me. <laughs> so, um, all right. Mike. Oh, I'm oh my God. 15, I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock and you are going to stick to it. All right. 15. Yeah, that's what it usually is. I thought it was 20. We each, take, 20. we each take 15 yeah. and then we each go over. So it ends up being about an go hour. over. All right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Go. I already started. Oh, God. You're um, 15 seconds in. 
Oh, I'm so <laughs> nervous. So I've got three campaigns going on. I have my uh, Scarlet Citadel. So two of them are Cobalt Press Midgard uh, campaigns. One is uh, the Scarlet Citadel Adventure, which I do not recommend. And I oh, talk about every cool. Sunday, so I'm going to skip it. Um, the other one. Tell me why you don't recommend it, because I don't watch it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's not a word in the, the English language that they have not decided to fit into that book somewhere. It must be the most overwritten adventure I have ever done. There are page, there are there are room descriptions that are three pages long. Mm. And I don't mean like a boss room where it's like a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you know, there's just a room that's in the middle of the dungeon. But boy, we want to tell you everything about this place. Okay. And it's it's in it's just not usable at the table. Okay. Like I, I've I, read I, it. Right. I, it's not I've like been, I'm not reading it. I've been highly tempted on multiple concepts to, to mash that in uh, with one of my. I mean, so but. it is a. It is a cool adventure mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on. I've not really run like mega dungeon kind of adventures, but the book goes way out of its way to describe like how you should feel about things and like the kind of thing, the, how to work with the players in different circumstances and edge cases and okay. all kinds of stuff. And it, it's just, it's telling you how to fish the whole time. Instead of being like, there's 12 guys here and they're going to react poorly to the characters showing up, right? It's, it's like they could. It's interesting that previously, um, I have distinctly heard people complaining that adventures don't give enough information. I don't. I typically don't hear that. I actually hear the you know when it's, I, I, people I that it, look it, at like you know. Well, so here's here's Sam. the thing though. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm talking well, Sam about needs a lot of not, help when he runs. No, adventures, listen, right? I'm talking about designers' notes. Like, here's why we did this. If you want to change it slightly to fit your party, you could do this, this, or this. Not like write a three-page room description it's, that includes yeah, they're literally in three there. That's pages. That's not long. what I'm asking for yeah and there's just <laughs> no headings like no headings no bolded areas no outlines no bullet list nothing like you just got to dig through the text and hope that you remember the last time you read it what's supposed to happen in these places and it, it's cool like the environment is really neat you know a lot of different things going on i'm really enjoying sort of wrapping the whole thing in sort of the the uh the the, the backgrounds and the gods and the circumstances of midgard even though they're like in one location you can still kind of feed a lot of that in my players are having a good time um we've uh, you know it doesn't it's another one where like even though it's like i mean one one level was 35 pages one level of the dungeon was 35 pages of text and um even though there's that much writing there's also no reason to go there there's no story there's no you know, like well, you literally go in the first layer and you just get punched in the face. And it's like you, you know, the book's like you want to really hit them hard with these guys. You're like any reasonable creature that would go down there and get hit by these guys would say, you know what? Why are we even in this dungeon at all? Let's go somewhere else. Like that is by so far the most reasonable action to take. So it's a little bit like Undermountain and that there's no real story reason to be there. I don't. Yeah, I never, I never ran and or even really read Undermountain, so I don't know. But, but there's and there, there's, there's like individual stories, but like a lot of it is like, well, there's, there's four mages doing weird stuff down there. They're not really a threat to anybody. They're not really hurting anything. But you maybe you should go down and kick their asses. Like they're not nice people. So we, so I, after all that writing, I still had to come up with my own storyline and my own plot, and my own reason, and my own hooks to get all the players to want to go down there and and actually get through this place. So it, it kind of hits the A, it takes me a ton of work to parse the adventure to see what's there. And then a fair bit of work to modify it, to, to make it so that like, 
there's a there's a plot going on it's very well produced it's beautiful it's got online it's got like beautiful online maps so the whole thing is you know every, every layer of dungeon has beautiful maps with it mm-hmm. it's got this neat like overlay system which doesn't really work well in vtt's but does work well in physical right um but yeah oh my god just over just you know too much too many words too many notes as as uh, the the emperor austria emperor would say in in uh amadeus so uh empire of the ghouls i like a lot too i've i've been really enjoying running that we're about halfway through a little bit more it's going to be a big long campaign the only issue with that one is you you must travel like seven or eight thousand miles in that adventure and that there you know i i trying to find new interesting ways for them to get from point a to point b i'm running out of ideas like they've already done the shadow roads so many times is that why i recently recently saw a slide flourish uh newsletter about about travel yeah Yeah, right yeah (laughs) so the the one good thing though is is richard green who was kind of the lead designer of it gave me a good idea for other new ways like it turns out in midgard there are multiple ways that you can fast travel from place to place there's the shadow roads themselves which are kind of fun jump into the the dark shadowy feywild and go from one place to another there's also these things called red portals which were created by wizards that that also kind of cross different worlds but you could use them as another kind of fast travel that's not just Feywild wild mm-hmm. stuff and then the one that my characters i knew they were going to grab onto it which is they're called cat slides and cat slides are like the weird portals that cats travel through to go from city to city that no one else knows about oh. and so <laughs> my character my players are like hell yeah we're doing the cat slides so uh, uh the adventure that i'm going to be running tomorrow is them it was really kind of fun like I, I really i really enjoyed how i sort of wired it so they had to like go befriend a cat and one of the players like, okay, you know, they're, they're, they go and they meet the ambassador to a city called Perbastet, which is the, yeah. the, the city of cats. And they said, you know, they met the ambassador and the ambassador is like, yes, there are these things called cat slides and, but you have to find a cat that knows how to get there. And so they're like, okay, so I can't speak with animals. And he's talking to the cats and the cats are just looking at him. He's like, I can't speak with animals. I'm like, that doesn't mean they want to talk. Right. And he's like, oh, goddamn cats. So then, you know, he's like, I cast, I cast friends. Right. I, or I think what he cast, like charm animal or something and then i'm like the cat is like just starting to begin to tolerate you and he's like i it says it's a good friend of mine i'm like this is as good a friend as this as any cat will be right, right? I mean, like as a cat owner right like that means they'll tolerate you that's as right. good as you're gonna get so they met this cat they they, they the cat's like hell yeah i know about the cat slides i could take it there and they're like all right we'll take it he goes well i want a deal like i want something he's like you're supposed to be like my best friend because i am your best friend that's why i'm letting you have a deal in order to take me in the cat slides so the deal is that they have to put food outside of their bar every night for the cat to eat and so they they talk to the people that they have they own a bar and they talk to the people that are running the bar for them and say, you got to make sure to put this cat food out there every night. And then they do it. The cat just sniffs it and walks away, right? The cat just doesn't ever <laughs> care to eat it. That's right. But it's like, you're still doing it. I'll be pissed if it's not there. And then the cat takes him on the cat slides. And so the cat's like, yeah, follow me. And the cat goes through and they end up in this like warehouse. And they're, they're in the middle of finding out. They, they, go, they go into this warehouse and they hear that it's filled with like bandits and thugs and assassins who are all getting ready to go attack their bar because of a political strife, a political battle between two different consuls, one of whom is an ally of the kind of an ally of the characters that runs the bar. And they're like, we're going to go and trash the bar and beat people up. And like and <laughs> the characters just wandered into this meeting of people that are about to go beat the bar. And I don't know what they're going to do. Like that's the beginning of the scene. Next session is like, you know, where they're there, but it's one of my favorite scenarios, which is, 
the the people that they're fighting are way underpowered for the characters. Mm -hmm. So the characters are like eighth level, right? And they're just they they could two spells and they could take everybody out in the place. But it's fun that they're like wandering in this situation where there's like 20 guys that are all suiting up with like brass knuckles and, and, you know, truncheons and stuff to go over there and beat up all the patrons at this bar. And they're like, Hey, that's our bar. Right. And so I'm really excited about that. And the cat, meanwhile, just like wanders through the band, you know, the thugs like, Oh, ignore these guys. Like these are, this is just my path that I take to get to per best at, right. It just happens to be right through this warehouse full of dudes. And um, so then I've got some some kind of fun that are sort of normal, you know, sort of travel encounters where like they're going to go to an oasis and find out that the oasis has been corrupted and they can decide do they stay around and try to uncorrupt the oasis or are they going to just pass through and go to Per Bastet? And then they go to Per Bastet and they meet people there and then they go on with the adventure. So I'm excited about it now because I don't have to do 3,500 3, miles of travel from Zobek to Su right. Sewell, which is the city that they're going to. And I told them, like, I was like, Here's four, you have four paths that you can take, you know, path number one, you can go overland and they have a whole bunch of adventures and see a whole bunch of places. You'll get to go to like one of your hometowns that you haven't been to in a while. So, you know, if the players are like, oh yeah, no, we, we don't mind some overland travel. Like, you know, we know it'll take a while to get there, but we don't care. And I was like, or you could take the shadow roads and where's <laughs> like, you know, we always hear about taking the shadow roads. We always get, the, we always go there and immediately get into fights. So I don't know why we're taking the shadow roads, right? Like the shadow roads are a silly place. Like we don't go there. And I was like, I was like, or the red portals, which take you to other worlds are like, oh yeah. Cause that's what we would. We don't like the shadow roads because we can get our asses kicked. Let's go to these red portals where we really get our asses kicked. Right. And then they're like, or you could take the cat slides. They're like cat slides, right? Like everyone's like, yeah, I'll take the cat slides. So um, yeah, so that's fun. And then the third, which I haven't talked about anywhere yet, that the third campaign, we just finished our light of Zaraxxus campaign for, um, uh, for for Spelljammer, yeah. uh, I loved the adventure. Uh, I still I still think the product was a complete missed opportunity, yeah. but the adventure was a lot of fun, and I really feel like we captured that sort of really high fantasy, you know, Flash Gordon space battles, and you know, just oh, everything was like big and over the top, and it was really I really enjoyed it. I really thought that the adventure and boy, talk about like a stark juxtaposition between adventures. That adventure knew like every word in it is there to help you run the adventure. Yeah. Right. It is really brief. It's a 64 page book that covers a, a pretty large campaign Yeah. and they, they don't waste a word. Like it's, it's, you know, it was easy to prep. It was easy to run. There was definitely parts of it. Where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this other way. Um, and there's parts of the storyline that are sort of like, con, you know, contrived and you're like, Oh, Hey, it turns out spoiler alert. Uh, and I'm going to uh, spoil spell jam. Uh, you know, hey, this person you've been helping this whole time, turns out she's going to betray you. And you're like, great, I should have just shot her, right? Like, you know, if, if they, you know, and they always like, they, you know, players don't trust NPCs anyway. Right. And now you're giving them more reason not to trust an NPC. So there are did, ways to change did, that did around. Did they at least name her villain like they did in Icewind Dale? Practically, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, practically. So, um, but I really enjoyed it other, other, otherwise than that, you know, other, other than having to make a couple of changes like that. And those were super easy changes for me to make. Like I, I modified a lot to kind of fit the style of the game that I wanted to do and the this type of storytelling I wanted to do. But, um, that I didn't feel like, Oh, I, you know, I had to completely unlike Avernus where I felt like I had to rewrite that adventure to get it into a workable spot. I did not feel that way with this one at all. Uh, so the new adventure I'm running is called Shadowed Keep of the Borderlands by Raging Swan. Uh, this has been around a while. It has been well tested. It is a very old school homage to Keep of the Borderlands and to uh, Village of Hamlet. 
And, um, you know, I was, I, I thought it would be a fun change from the super high fantasy, crazy spacefaring, you know, Hey, inside of my hat are four Tarasks you can throw at another ship to destroy it, which was awesome. Having, having Tarasks breaststroking through the space to destroy ships was very <laughs> fun to describe. Really enjoyed describing that. Um, so something a little bit more low key than that. Right. And I'm like bandits in an abandoned, in, a, in an abandoned keep. That sounds good. And then I think it was yesterday. I was like, you know, the problem is you still need a world. Like you still want a world to run in. Like people are still going to say like, well, you know, what, what God is my cleric. And I'm like, you know, I, and so I, I talked to Michelle about it and I was like, what do you, what do you think? You know, I had some ideas and it's like, well, Eberron's not going to work and Dark Sun's not going to, you know, kind of the, the, the big sort of really different sort of settings are not going to fit. I mean, you could, of course, but if the whole point was to play like an old school adventure and I'm like, well, what about Greyhawk? Like, what if we ran it in Greyhawk? And I'm like, the problem is like, none of us know Greyhawk very well. And I'm like, well, that's okay because the adventure doesn't really need it anyway. And, the, and, and you know it. So you just and, no, and, and, and the whole, the whole, I think the whole sales pitch for Greyhawk is nobody really knows what's going on in Greyhawk, right? Like it's not a, it's I, not a there, super there are people who absolutely know the lore. Of Greyhawk. <laughs> but, I, but I think like, I think the, the thing that makes Greyhawk, you know, like that makes people really like Greyhawk is that like, it isn't like El Minister's wandering around and, you know, or you or you have like Driz Dorden doing all his stuff. It's like Greyhawk is, is really designed as a backdrop for what adventurers are doing. No, you've got, you've got, uh, uh, Morton Caden and, 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 these, and, and uh, the whole circle of eight. If right, you're in the city of Greyhawk, every, yeah. every, but are they like wandering around the towns and stuff like yes, that? Yes, they're all there. Um, well, I so, mean, okay. Well, let me ask you, is like, there a great, like, is there a Greyhawk source book? Cause as far like, as I can tell, there isn't actually a Greyhawk. Tensor, Tensor has a tower, right? Yeah. And like, and, and not yeah. like third edition. There hasn't been a Greyhawk source book since third edition. Correct. Was there an, and is there, is there like a, if, if, I mean, in any edition, is there a definitive Greyhawk? book that you would get that tells you like yeah and what which yeah. what in which one is edition, it in first edition there was a folio and a box set and a bunch of adventures and then in third edition there were two there was a 30 page greyhawk gazetteer and then there was a 192 page greyhawk yeah. gazetteer I'll, that that, did the I'll grab that i'll grab that 32 page in one. second edition the there were two memorize the number in, of pages <laughs> in second yeah. in because se it's just because they're both called the greyhawk gazetteer or uh -huh. you know whatever and that but they're very different right that's the only reason i say the page count but in second edition there was a whole series i mean yeah there's there is a, a 40 year history of greyhawk that a lot of i know I, I know there is yeah but but it, it i guess yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like, there, I remember there are, when. Look, there's there are demi there are demigods walking around. There's, but you're right. Like the way that I normally play Greyhawk, and the way that a lot of sort of old grognards play Greyhawk. Yeah, right. the you know, Morden Canaan isn't just walking around downtown like Elminster. Well, might well and it doesn't. Right? It doesn't. Well, I guess like it, it doesn't have exactly things that, like that people run for God, or the four run major run like world the the right. four major world changing events that Forgotten Realms has had. Right. Like it doesn't have what, what's the wow. one where all the gods came down and got killed and changed yeah, everything. Well, yeah. but Greyhawk does have that. Cause it does has, it? like, what were the events that devastation? It has the whole Baclunish yeah. okay. problem. So I, it has obviously, Scarlet I don't know anything about has, Greyhawk. Right. So <laughs> you don't know anything about Greyhawk. Well, I'm not, not saying that, that there wasn't anything about it, but, I, but I, I guess the impression I got, maybe I shouldn't play Greyhawk. You've convinced me. It's just another <laughs> setting like every other. Setting. Why am I playing this one? But I see, can play Forgotten Realms. But see, but see here's, here's, here's the point, though, is that Greyhawk benefits from not having been the, the, the popular setting for, for yeah. 
10, 15, 20 years. But what does that because, matter? <laughs> because not only do you not know anything about Greyhawk, neither do any of your players. So right. You can, you can just fill in right. the gaps and make it up or whatever you want, and it's fine. Yeah, right, no, right. And, has and, any expectations. Yeah. yeah, and so, and that's, and really, I think, like, we're going to start with, we're going to use the Greyhawk Pantheon. Right. And we're not really going to I don't I don't like I will probably feed in a couple of like political factions to sort of wrap around the bandits that are there and to wrap and maybe some histories to kind of talk about the, you know, some some lore to throw around in the dungeon when they actually go down in there. But I don't think I actually need a whole lot of it because I think it benefits from the idea that not only do we not know about it, but neither do the characters that, you know, they're the characters don't know all you know, the seven regions of the world because they've never gone more than 30 miles away from the central town. So, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity to really narrow the lens and really narrow the focus down and still have a setting that has some history to it and has a a pantheon. So I don't have to make up a pantheon and has, you know, the the interesting factions that could get, that could get involved in the adventure. And I don't even have to define them up front. Like I just pick them as we go. So that's, that's, you know, that was what we were thinking of. And then we also thought, well, like Greyhawk has that advantage of being like the first setting and we're playing an adventure that's very much like well, some of the first adventures. That's debatable. There was a setting before Greyhawk, but. Yeah. Did I say the first? Yeah. Or one of the first. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Seems like almost everybody talks about Greyhawk. Well, Obviously, well, once Dave, again, Dave I don't know anything about Greyhawk. Dave Arneson had a setting. Uh, what was Black it called? Blackmore. Blackmore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, they, and they was it third edition. They a third party publisher published uh, a, a mm-hmm. new Blackmore setting book. I, I think I have the PDF yeah. somewhere, but yeah. So that and I don't know how long that one will go. The adventure is pretty short. It's a first to fourth level adventure, so it's not a huge, it's not a huge adventure. And then I don't know if we'll decide like, hey, we want to keep going. Like, what you know, enough will have happened in the adventure that we want to expand it and keep it going elsewhere, or uh, or we decide no, you know, by that point maybe Planescape will be out. So maybe we switch over and play Planescape or something like that. This group that I'm running it for gets together maybe every two to three weeks. We don't, it's not a weekly game. It's like a every two or three week game. So it works better to run sort of shorter campaigns with more focused goals. That was why um, Spelljammer worked really well, right? Like I think we, it was like first to eighth level for us because we played um, Dragon of Stormwreck Isle to begin it and then went from Dragon of Stormwreck Isle to um, Light of Xeraxis and connected it all together. And that, that worked out really well. So that was, yeah. What's that? Sounds like you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's pretty challenging running three different campaigns with, you know, three worlds that I'm digging into like right before. Is it harder to do that or to run the same campaign simultaneously? It's way easier to run the same campaign for multiple, for, for multiple groups. Absolutely. Cause you're, you're doubling down on all of your effort, right? You're, well, you know, it's, <laughs> like I feel like it's different effort because um, at the very least, I, if I was running the same campaign in multiple groups, I would have to work really hard to keep track of what happened. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, not, I didn't have I'm to not, worry about I'm that not, that much. I'm not good at note taking. So, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. You know, every so often there were times where I was like, oh, wait, which group is doing what? Mm-hmm. But it just meant that, like, when it came to reading the material, digesting and absorbing it, coming up with ideas that I knew that whatever idea I came up with one group, I would probably be able to bring with the other. Um, I think for my Eberron group, they went totally different paths to the final one. So I had like one group I had, a, you know, overland travel through one segment in one city. And then one other group did like aerial travel with an airship 
to another city and I had to kind of keep track of this, you know, when they did the split, but still when they came back together, it, it, uh, it, it worked out and it was still all in Eberron, which meant like the gods were the same, the major factions are the same, the, you know, the history was the same. Like I didn't, I didn't have to learn two different ones and I don't really have to with this either because I've got both are mid, both are Midgard. So, you know, at least in that case, like, you know, you, you run into, you know, the, the bat God, the bat God is the same in both games and that, and that works out pretty well. Um, I think I'm going to start leaning. I was talking about this on my, on my talk show that I think I'm going to start leaning to more to run homebrew adventures in published campaign settings instead of published adventures, which I think will end up being less work because you get all of the published, you get all of the advantage of having a giant published setting with all of the lore and all of the gods and all of the artwork and all of the, the and usually lots of story ideas that you can grab with and go. And then the, all the freedom and flexibility to let the adventure go whatever direction it goes and let the players drive a lot of the direction. And I so mean, I've, I've done that for decades. Uh, yeah. Lots it's of people only, have, it's only with yeah. fifth edition that I've only pretty much exclusively done published adventures. Yeah. I think, and, and I've gone back and forth now, right? Like, I mean, Numenera, when I ran that was a pub, kind of a published setting with my own adventure and, um, Eberron was, you know, my own adventure with the published setting and looking back on those, I also think that they were better. Like, I think, I think, well, I had more fun with those than I did the, necessarily with like even the better published adventures like Wild Beyond the Witchlight. The sort of classic uh, publishing, adventure publishing setup prior to fifth edition wasn't to do big campaigns. They'd publish a relatively short adventure that wouldn't even span yeah. the level, right? And then you could sort of take them and, and fit them into your homebrew campaign. I did that a bunch. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I remember my my was it the fourth edition campaign that I had with it was completely homebrewed, but I, but I mm-hmm. also totally ran, you know, this thing from Goodman games and that thing that wizards published and whatever. Yeah. And into the campaign. Um, yeah. I think in the end, in fourth, I ran the, 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 the nine published adventures that they had done as their adventure arc. And then I, but I ran my own homebrew dark sun one and I ran my own homebrew Shadowfell one. And both of those were, both of those were a lot of fun too. Yeah. So I think I'm going to lean. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like I, I I hope Planescape is good. We'll find out. And and if it is, but I'm, you know, I'm far, I'm far away from, oh, Watsy published an adventure. Maybe I should go run it. Like that's no longer, that's no longer my equation. Right. They've, I got burned, you know, two out of three times I got burned on, on stuff like that. So I'm like, no, you got to prove to me that you, that it's worth the time of me and my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just have more fun running my own. Yeah, because that's all. And, and it even it even stretches out to where like I don't even really run in any published setting anymore. It's really my homebrew, but with pieces of other published settings that I. Yeah, like, that's know, another it's another good way to it's go. It's easy to do it that way. I, I'm at a point where I, I will run homebrew when because usually what will happen is I start reading something, a setting book or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and inspiration strikes. And then I was like, oh, now there's a story in my head and I got to tell that story. Right. And then I'll homebrew the campaign. If, if yep. that doesn't happen, then I have a library of published material to pull from. And fifth edition has come out while I was doing grad school and there, there was a lot going on. So I just sort of leaned into published adventures. So. Yeah. So that's anyway, where I'm at. Anyway, your time ran out like 10 minutes ago. So yeah. uh, I suppose we'll, we'll move on. Uh, I do <laughs> want to remind folks, if you want to find uh, the Tome Show and our community, that we have various social medias. Um, Twitter is uh, at the Tome Show. You can find us on Discord, probably by finding us on Twitter or sending an email, and we'll send you the link. Um, yeah. The, but the Discord 
group is is it's nice, right? It's 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 big enough yeah. that we have sort of constant conversations going on, but not so big that those conversations get lost. Uh, I really enjoy uh, our Discord uh, community, so that's nice. Uh, but we also have a Facebook page and an email address, uh, thetomeshow at gmail.com. Um, so totally come and check us out and, and hang out with us. Uh, Marcus Byrne wants to ask you a question, though. Have you written the adventures? You have you have some uh, published like pieces like what, oh yeah do I have any writing adventures I got tons of written adventures, um, fantastic adventures and runes of the Grendel Root are two oh. big piles of adventures that I've got all available on slyflourish.com. Go to the bookstore. And you also and, have, a, um, have a, a dungeon in was it Eldritch Layers from Cobalt Press. Oh yeah yeah I've got a bunch of ones that I've done for for other ones I think I have mm-hmm. three or four for that I did for Cobalt Press, mm-hmm. a bunch that I did for Fourth Edition for Wizards of the Coast but yeah, yeah. the the, the Ruins of the Grunder Root is the one that I would probably point people towards. I think that's that. And then if you want smaller, you know, little micro dungeons that you can throw into a game, uh, Fantastic Layers, which I did with Scott Gray and James Intercasso has 23, 23 layers, first to 20th level that you can drop in. And they all have sort of tiny I've, adventures. I've stolen, I don't, was it from Fantastic Layers or Fantastic Locations? But I've stolen some of your things and just and thrown them into my my campaigns here and there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all designed to be you grab and go. All right, Sam, I suppose we'll let you talk. All right. Um, so let me just start by saying Greyhawk's biggest problem is that there's been so much taken from Greyhawk mm. and just put into the core of D&D and therefore also kind of gets assumed and subsumed into the Forgotten Realms that if you were to look at Greyhawk now, as a person who's only ever experienced 5th edition Forgotten Realms, you might say, well, Greyhawk, that's just the Forgotten Realms, but more boring, right? Because it doesn't have whatever, whatever. And and look, they stole Morden Kanan, and they've got all these Big B's spells, and they've got yeah. Auto. Yeah. All yeah, that, that stuff yeah. is yeah. from Greyhawk. Well, but right. I, I mean, it's I, not I, from Forgotten Realms. I right. Vecna in my, in my Invertus game earlier. He, Vecna is Greyhawk. I mean, at least, but we can all agree that a Sararak definitely is a Forgotten Realms only uh, lich. No. What? <laughs> what are you talking that's, about? But, that's, but, this but, is, but this Tomb is of Annihilation, this, man. This is what I'm saying, though, is that all this stuff, <laughs> just trying and to I know Mike's just pulling my yeah, chain, trending. all this stuff is from Greyhawk, yeah. right? And it's been pulled into core D&D. And so people I use, think, oh, I, use well, this, I use this from Forgotten Realms. Yeah, it's it's part of the Forgotten Realms then, right? Right, right. And all those traditional spells, you know, Melf, Auto, Tensor, even Tasha, okay, Morden Kanan, all of that stuff is Greyhawk. I love and, I love that we I love that we treat Melf like it's this, you know, holy well, I'm just naming you know, it because holy it's, it was no, male no. elf. It's because no, somebody could come but up with a name I, but, and came up with male elf. But it's but it's the name of a spell is my point. No, and that I spell know. Right. is in the player's handbook as if it belongs in yeah. every player's every wizard's well, spell book but that, on that, any material plane. But that's been right? the case like through, throughout the editions. That's yes. not a new no, innovation. I, no, I, I no, but f- in fifth edition, it's particularly egregious because the, all because, the stories are inspired. All the campaign stories are inspired by Greyhawk, uh, right? And and bring those and yet they're as set as in the Forgotten Realms, right? right. So and, so and if, if you if you if you pay careful attention to them and you know the story, you realize that none of those people are from there, right? right? They're all planet right. travelers or whatever, right? 
but, and that's fine. Yes. Like, like whatever, it's fine. Like I get it, but I get, but my only point is that means that if somebody were to just take like the city of Greyhawk or some generic area in Greyhawk, pick any area in Greyhawk, and they were to look at what's going on there, they would be like, oh, this is supremely boring. And look, it's just like Forgotten Realms, but not fantastical. So why would I want to do that, right? So Greyhawk is getting kind of a, a, a bad rap here um, because of the way that it's been sort of sucked into core D&D, but yet not really, you know, given an appropriate, oh. you know, see, setup. See, I, th right? I think the real bad rap is that since third edition, Wizards stopped publishing anything for Greyhawk. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. outside of a couple of small little things. And so that's yeah. why, and, and so people have lost familiarity with it. Mm -hmm. But but meanwhile, right. all of the- Ghost of Saltmarsh did a pretty good job. All right. the, but, all, all but all the names, but well, all the names and, all, and everything. All the designers at yeah. Wizards really love Greyhawk. Mm -hmm. And so they keep right. using the Greyhawk stuff, but right. Realms is right. the core setting. And so they keep just porting it. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know Ghosts of Saltmarsh is ostensibly set in Saltmarsh, which is in Greyhawk. I get it. There's even a map. They even, right, they talk about the Scarlet. I understand, but that's 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 an anomaly compared to the rest of the way they've been conducting yeah. the edition. That's all I'll say. And, I, you know, I get it, right? I get it. They don't want to have to go through and make the player's handbook take out the name of Tensor, Otto, Mordenkainen, Tasha, Melf, everything. They don't want to take those things out because they are iconic. So you so you don't separate it from the core of D&D. &D. It gives a little familiarity. So there it is, fine. But what it does, though, is that it actually ref reflects really poorly on Greyhawk itself because it makes it seem like it's not an exciting enough uh setting it doesn't have anything going on with it there's nothing so great about it that they want to bring it back but yet they'll take all the good little pieces and they put them in forgotten realms it pumps up forgotten realms makes it that much better and it leaves greyhawk in the dust in right fourth, in fourth edition they put it all into into the ninja veil that's right they did and i <laughs> bitched about it then too i thought that's a problem too right it's the same it's the same issue because the Ninterveil vale was supposed to be all new right. and here's a setting that no one knows we can all learn the history together we can make it have a completely different cosmology we're going to do all this oh but then now when we publish a setting map we're going to put the freaking tomb of horrors right there and we're going to put you know the lost shrine of Tomoshan over here and we're going to put and like no i'm right like that's a problem for me too like i get why they did it but you know i like that so. um Page six of the World of Greyhawk source book is about the trees of the region. Like before well, we get okay. anything else, let's talk so, about the trees. Yeah. So, but l I'll defend that a little bit with, you know, <laughs> you there was no other, <laughs> you know, published setting at that time. And that's literally what people were asking him for is what's in your setting. What Give the me trees the flora, the, the fauna, region? the troops, everything. Apricot. And so that's what you get. Ash. Bay cedar, right? Big. So anyway, um, you got nine minutes left. Why don't you talk about your game? Yeah. <laughs> so Mike just likes poking me. I do. Um. And, and so here's so I, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, I can't, I can't help it. I do love Greyhawk. It was my first setting. That I I played Greyhawk when I when I very first started in 1982. You know, and I and when I was running games, I ran Mistara because my brother, you know, ran Greyhawk. And so I was a player in Greyhawk, and that's how I learned about the setting. And that setting will always hold a place in my heart. And, you know, it gets a bad rap. 
And I, I think it gets a bad rap for the wrong reasons. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means or that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It has its issues just like every setting, but it gets a bad rap. And anyway, whatever. So I'm running two games right now. I'm running a Castles and Crusades game every week, although it's been on hiatus for a little while because I've had some life changes, uh, as we mentioned very early in this recording. Um, and so, uh, so that's, uh, sort of thrown off the schedule there for me. Um, but that campaign is almost over. They are doing the final siege on a fortress on a hill, and they are fighting basically an army of bugbears at this point, and, uh, and they're going to get through that and get into the basement of that fortress and find out... Uh, find out what's down there and and everything that all the mystery part of what they've been going through is going to suddenly become clear and they're probably going to make some bad decisions and uh end up accidentally handing a major villain a very powerful artifact because they think that villain is uh on the side of right uh and they may be they may be right um because that person is a, a good uh you know good aligned type of in, you know they're not like a major villain uh, but the way that they're going to fix the problems is probably going to end in the PCs uh, not being so happy uh, with it. So, um, which is the best, a really good kind of villain, right? Is somebody who actually does want to do the right thing. It's just that the methods they're choosing are not so great, right? Because the methods they're choosing are going to end up hurting the the PCs and anybody with the PCs. So, uh, but but yet the PCs can actually agree with them because they do agree that this thing that's happening is bad and they need to stop it. So anyway, uh, I'm also running a, a fourth edition D and D game actually. Uh, and uh, so um, that is, that's a newer campaign that I'm running and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in the intervale sort of it's, it's mostly my intervale uh, and I am running it like a sandbox. So uh, there's kind of a, uh, there's not really a super duper overarching storyline. I, I did a session zero and I had all the players make their characters uh, all at the same time and talked about um, different goals and, and things that they wanted to do. And we did some cooperative party building and uh, discussed what their, what their main sort of ideas of, of what they want to do are and, and all that good stuff that you do in a really nice session zero and uh, so they're they're sort of running around the intervale, and they are uh, discovering that there is actually an heir to the Empire of Narath who is uh, still supposedly alive. And so they are finding out that they're going to need to go protect that person because there are some uh, evil forces that want to go get that person so that they continue that they can continue that bloodline. Uh, unwillingly and uh, and corrupt that bloodline. Um, so that's kind of the storyline going on right now. But uh, as I said, I'm running it mostly like a sandbox. So they're just kind of going and doing uh, whatever they want to do in there. Um, and that game is just getting started. They are just now fourth level. We've had about 15 sessions. They're just now fourth level. So they are they're going to go all the way to 30. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. Um, and uh, and so that's probably going to go all over all over the board because again they're kind of just they're following their own interests and I'm throwing you know hooks at them and throwing different NPCs and factions and villains at them and seeing what sticks and they're following the things that they find uh, the most interesting. Um, the CNC game is almost over. Uh, it really only has because uh, my intention is once they figure out uh, and they make their decision about whether to do the thing that this this particular NPC asked them to do or not. 
they're basically going to be done, and uh, that game is probably going to be over. Um, and then, um, so basically, what I'm going to do is uh, is start a different <laughs> start a different campaign. I'm going to take some time off, and then start a different campaign. And I'm going to start a traveler campaign. And I think I talked about that last year. I talked about starting maybe a traveler campaign as one of my main campaigns this year. And it didn't happen because I ended up uh, continuing my Castles and Crusades campaign longer than uh, than I thought it was going to go. And then uh, and then I started that fourth edition game. But I'm definitely going to do uh, Traveler this year. It's probably going to start in two or three months. And uh, I'm going to do a traditional Traveler game, which has uh, a crew of a sort of chintzy ship running around trying to... Uh, Get, get odd jobs and make money and pay their ship mortgage and uh, fly to unknown reaches of space and meet all kinds of interesting things that they did not know existed uh, that try to screw them over, which is basically what a Traveler game is. Um, and, and, and so many yeah. classic sci-fi stories. I mean, you're, you, could be, yeah, right. you could be doing yeah. Firefly or Star Wars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, that's that's basically, you know, Firefly is basically a Traveler campaign. Right. Um you know, every episode is they go kind of to a new place. They discover new things. You learn about what happened at that place. You learn about how they can help or not help, as the case may be. You know, like there's that one that one episode where uh, they they fly down, um, and they find out that there's a statue of Jane, right, yeah. uh, in the town, and they're like, "What the hell happened here? That there's a statue of you? Like you're kind of a how how could you have done something so wonderful that this place has a statue dedicated to you because of some you know but then you learn the story of what they did and uh he's still a right, right. <laughs> like it pr- proves doesn't prove that he suddenly wasn't a um but but you know so stuff like that that's that is like purely how traveler games end up going is that there's a basic job they have to do on the way to the job or during the job or coming back from the job something messes up and they have to fix it uh and and you know, shenanigans ensue and that's kind of um that's kind of what that's kind of what I'm aiming for uh so it's going to it's going to almost be mm, I don't want to say it's going to be an open table because I I it's not it's almost uh, it has a West Marches feel to it a little bit, where um, you know uh, whichever crew members can show up that day can actually you know go on the job or the adventure. But I'm not really running it like an open table West Marches uh, because I need a little bit more stability than that. Because uh, what I can't have is uh, one person shows up that week, right? Or or I you know I and I also can't do the traditional actual West Marches. Uh, where, oh, I rely on the players to decide who's going to go on what mission and what day they're going to show up. Like, that's that's not good for me either because I have to I have to have a little bit more control over, wh- you know, when the game is run and, and what we're doing because it makes my prep easier. Um, and as we all know, you know, as an adult with a life and a job and a family and responsibilities and, you know, all the things that go along with all those, it's not always easy to schedule everything and if if things keep throwing the schedule out or if if things keep happening then it ends up being a drudgery to try to get that game going um which is part of the reason why my castles and crusades game is on hiatus because um you know it's at a point where everybody needs to be there and we've had various different you know for the past four weeks there's been at least two or three people that can't make it for whatever reason 
And if it was just one person, okay, but, you know, two or three now, suddenly that changes the entire tenor of what was happening. And because they're at the crescendo of the game, I can't just be like, okay, well, I'll just do something else this week. You know, like it's not, it's not quite that simple. And I don't want that same thing to happen to my traveler game. So I'm trying to be a little more intentional with how I prep that, even though it's going to be very open and they can take whichever job that they want to take in any given week. So, um, so yeah. So that's kind of what's going on with me, and that was my defense of Greyhawk. And, uh, and you, there's did a, with, you did it with eight yeah. seconds left. Yes. I know, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, Sam's the only one who, who did his segment in the allotted time tonight. Which is- I do have a question. I have a question for both of you, though, and it's related to what you were talking about before. So, you know, a, a, as yeah. you notice, if you hear me talk, I'm not running any fifth edition. I'm not really running any yeah. D&D. You know, um, I'm, I'm kind of stepping away from 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 fantasy as my main thing at this point right like Castles temporarily right is, is fantasy, isn't it? huh Castles and Crusades is fantasy. yeah yeah but i'm saying when that one's done then i'll still i'll have my fourth edition that's what i'm saying is i'll have my fourth edition game okay. right um but then i'm moving to traveler and i've also run some one shots of like savage worlds and and different sure. settings like that i'm i'm kind of stepping away f- away from fantasy more so than i normally am for the time being um, but, uh, the, so you were talking about earlier how, you know, Tales of the Valiant, right. Mm-hmm. is coming out. It's Cobalt Press's version of fifth edition or their, their expansion of fifth edition into a new sort of system. And I, I kind of liken it to, and the, this is the way I described it to my players is that it feels like, um, uh, uh, Tales of the Valiant is to fifth edition as Pathfinder one is to third edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Close enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you would know better than I would because because well, you, I don't. Done, I I, I don't know better. I have, but all I so I could tell you what I could tell you my part, but I haven't seen the whole thing, and none of it. You know, nobody but but I think like Celeste and the the designers have seen have right. seen everything that they're doing. But that's that's I mean that's probably fair. You could also make the argument that twenty twenty four version of D anD D is like Pathfinder to the fifth edition version, right? Like we well, have. We're we're gonna have we're gonna have five fifth edition five major publishers, five major versions of D and D from four publishers that are gonna be out this time next year. Well, sure. maybe a few months. Yeah. Although, well, we've got we've got the Critical Role version. We've got no, MCDMs. Critical Role is gonna be their own. No, no but I'm just so, saying. But I'm just yeah, saying. Like, none of those are fifth out, edition. Out, out, no, no, but no, I know. But I'm just saying, like, out of the OGL disaster, yeah. Yeah. there's now gonna be a Critical Role game, right? Not the Candela Obscura, yeah, the other, right. the Shadow other Heart, right? Shadow Heart or yeah. Dagger Hearts. Sorry. Dagger Hearts, yeah. and then there's, um, then there's actually Shadow Dark, right? Yeah, which is fifth. Edition. I mean, you could, you could, you then could keep going with this forever because there's a million right, RPGs. But, but wait, but then there's MCDM, right? Right. And then there's, uh, and then there's Cobalt Press. Those are the four major ones. No, that I think. Okay, so so if I if I would offer for just actual fifth edition compatible ones, you have Cubicle Seven is doing C seventy twenty. They're the group that did okay. the One Ring and the Lord of the Rings ones. They're putting out a version. You have Cobalt Press, which is putting out Tales of the Valiant. We already have Level Up Advanced Five E, and they're continuing to work with that. So you have another variant of Five E. And the 2024 version of D&D that Wizards of the Coast is putting out. And then, of course, we still have the 2014 version of D&D. So, you know, there's there's a, a lot of different ones that are that are actually, in theory, supposed to be cross-compatible with one another. 
Right. Um, theory, like M- M- MCDM. Yeah. But like, but in theory, right. Yeah. Cause everything, I mean, everything right. is in theory. Well, yeah. th- that's not quite true. We, we know what the compatibility is between level up advanced 5e and fifth edition. Well, like, sure. Yeah. We have two working versions right now and we can talk about what works and what doesn't between right. those two. And I, and I expect they will be similar. Like I, I, I don't, I, you know, I expect if you look at the other fifth edition versions that are coming out, that, um, you know, that's a good model of like how compatibility can tend to break. And the example there is the subclasses. You can't, you can't take the subclasses out of level up advanced 5e and put them on a 2014 D&D class because the, the, the mechanics, the, the mechanics of the subclass are built around the mechanics of the class and they just don't really work. And I think Tales, it sounds like Tales of the Valiant is going to be the same way, which is weird because Cobalt Press also has tons of subclasses that are now not mm-hmm. going to be compatible with their own RPG, <laughs> like regardless of what anybody else is doing. That's that's a little weird, yeah. But no, I think I think a lot of it is pretty compatible though. Like monsters it, are all going to be compatible. There's a lot of talk and speculation even about what 2024 D D is going to look like, right? And how compatible that's going to be. And, yeah. And, and like, honestly, I don't know that any of it's worth the air of the conversation because we don't actually know. Like, yeah, know I mean, they, in that case, we at least have the play tests. Like, are sure. giving us general. We have but, what they say, and we have the play tests, and that's about as far as we go. But we've been through yeah. play tests before, and it is mm-hmm. not uncommon for the play test to have yeah. very little to do with what's actually published. I would, I, yeah, I so. would be surprised if they, because you know, the, the general feeling is that when the play tests come out, they already know what they want. <laughs> like right. and and, and yeah. the rest is yeah. you know and if you watch the videos where they talk about it they're like oh everybody loves everything we're doing and you're like yeah so it isn't like the fifth edition play test where like you know they completely changed how saving throws work well, right in the middle guess, of the fifth edition in the middle of D well Act. right but by the end of the fifth edition play test we had a pretty good sense of what the game was going to be but yeah. but they also had significantly longer to do that play test than they're doing for this play test. Uh, I mean, it was two years, and this is two years, so um, I don't know that it's that different. I don't know. It feels a lot different. I don't, I don't well, it feels different because we had an entire version of D and D that lasted as long as this play test. <laughs> like four, fourth edition lasted three and a half years. <laughs> like it was a tiny edition. So yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's hard to get it, but it, it feels like I mean. I don't know when they started internal play testing, but like from the time that they did play testing, it's going to be about a year and a half for, for fifth of it for, for 2024. What was your question? You had a question about this. I just wanted to, I, I was just going to ask about, you know, what you all thought about all these new games coming out. And, yeah. and you know, so on one hand, it's like, you I know, I, I'm not, I'm not so much, I don't care about the compatibility issues. Like I, I was just bringing up that, you know, all these companies that are known and loved for their fifth edition work, theoretically, mm-hmm. are now sort of branching out to their own games, whether they're compatible or not. It's a different story. Well, yeah. And we have and so, Shadow, of the, Shadow of the Weird Wizard and right. the new so, version so of the 13th Age also these, coming out. Yeah. You've got all these things that are coming out that are sort of arising from this, this schism that occurred, right? And I, at the same time, you get the sense that Watsi a little bit almost backpedaled, right? Mm-hmm. And said, well, 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 okay, we're not even calling it 1D&D anymore because it's not like, <laughs> it's not even like another edition. It's just an update, right? right? It's just, right. it really is not even it's like really an update. 3 to 3.5, oh, we'll, we'll, right? We'll still charge you 180 bucks, right. but we're it's just gonna, an update. We're still going to reformat <laughs> the books and put a new art and you're going to buy <laughs> right. them. But, you buy them again on D&D Beyond. Like, yeah, yeah. But, but you get what I'm saying though, right? Like, so it, it opened up this kind of area where now suddenly all of these companies who have a lot of fans can sort of, put something out there 
right? And yeah. I'm, you know, D and D is still the the, the eight thousand pound gorilla in the sure. room, right? So that's sure. that's not going to change, so far right? I'm yeah. concerned, this is all positives. Like when mm-hmm. when these things happen, when when yeah. a Paizo splits off from from mm-hmm. wizards and does their own thing mm-hmm. and creates yeah. Pathfinder, the hobby's still richer. Th- this makes yeah. the hobby yeah. better. This makes both right. games yeah. better yeah. because then they get to yeah. play with new ideas yeah. and those become mm-hmm. part of the zeitgeist in, the, in gaming. Like this is all fantastic to me. I'm very happy and I'm yeah to uh, yeah. It was it was very interesting. I I went to a gaming convention where he played like five RPGs in four days, none of which were fifth edition. Yeah. And I went from playing Dungeon World to playing um, Pathfinder 2. And mm-hmm. like when my, my wife and I were done with Pathfinder 2, both of us were like, we're really glad that this system exists because it has this really good niche of the hobby. It was like yeah. really mm-hmm. crunchy, really detailed, super customization, focused on on the grid, focused on this play. And we still enjoy Dungeon World way more. Right. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. but it's that that and those those two games show the range. Like they're both basically trying to be D D clones. Yeah. They're like opinionated versions of D. Right. One of which is super open story, like roll a pair of D6 to see if mm-hmm. you succeed. And the other one is like, here's 38 bonuses that you have to put because of you both flanking and flat footed and you didn't right. raise your shield with mm-hmm. your minor action. Yep. So like, right. you know, incredible range of this thing. Yeah. And it's what it means is like we all got got to kind of try them all. And and see which ones really grab us and resonate. A lot of people were like, they love Dungeon Crawl Classics. They just they they love that style. They love that book. They want to play the hell out of it. And, and, and you know and that's mod- great. Modding has been a core part of D and D since first edition. Yeah, sure. So, so I, I've I've recently, as recently as I don't know, six months ago or so, I was reading uh, Blades in the Dark. And yeah. discovered a great idea and ripped it right out and created yeah. a D version of yeah. it. So now I've got a mm-hmm. whole. Next time I start a campaign, I've got a whole Blades in the Dark inspired. Yeah. Uh, a group, you know, uh, adventuring party generating. Uh, uh, yeah. I tested. Um, I've been testing the luck system from Tales of the Valiant in my Scarlet Citadel game, and they like it a lot. So now I'm going to drop it into this uh, Shadows Keep of the Borderlands game. Yeah. And see if we like the luck system there. So I think we're all going to be. And that's the other great thing about having five versions of Fifth Edition that are all big, big, fully published. Like they're all going to be spending like a hundred grand at least putting out this stuff and we get to be like i like the way they're doing inspiration or i like the way that they're doing uh uh exhaustion rules right Right. and i like this you'll probably pick a baseline and be like we're all going to use this as our baseline but i'm going to steal from these like three other categories so i you know which is what i've been doing with level up like i'm I'm still running kind of traditional 2024 DD, but i've been using monsters from level up almost exclusively like anytime i pick a monster i pick it from there before i pick it from the monster manual because they're almost always better and, you know, I, and they, no, nobody even knows like the fact that I'm using a wraith from level up advanced five E nobody, unless they like, Hey, what, what book is that? <laughs> like, you know, they'd have no idea I was running it from another, from another system. Right. Yeah. Nope. All right. Well, we praised Sam for keeping his conversation within the time limit. And then we chatted about this other stuff for about 10 minutes. That's yeah, good. Good uh, conversation. It, it's a great conversation. I'm glad we did it, but I am also getting tired and it's getting close to bedtime. So... <laughs> Uh, I want to go ahead and wrap this up if that's okay. Do it. All right. So that's the end of our episode. Uh, I don't know. What do I usually say? Uh, we, we talked about our games and we had a good time. Yay. I guess Thanks, that's guys. It. That's it. Something like that. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>